If you'll take your Bibles, we're going to go to Haggai chapter 2 here in just a moment, but you'll also notice in your bulletin, you've got several documents that were given away today. FPU, Financial Peace University, will be launching in October. If you have any questions about that, we would love to give you some answers and insight on what that is uh, about to, uh, to be here in October. And then uh, also you've got a renew, uh, renewing the rebuilding commitment card in there. Uh, we have been wrapping up through the book of Haggai. Today is the last message of the series. Next Sunday, we would ask for you to be praying about what God would give through you the next 12 months to the building program, the Property Advancement Project. If you pop into the lobby today as you leave, you'll see that a lot of drywall went up and it's kind of closing in and looking a little bit more like what it's going to be uh, for the finished product. And so they'll be here on site throughout the week. The roof is done and they've got several other things to do on the outside and inside. And, uh, and we're thankful for all of the hard work. And then I believe also inside your bulletin might be the notes for today. And so let's make a transition and uh, we'll go to Haggai chapter number two. At the end of the service, I would like to have a time of prayer and have somebody pray uh, over the Woman's Choice Ministry, uh, just a way of our support as a church family, a way of recognizing uh, that uh, we partner together in the name of the Lord uh, for what they're doing. So Haggai chapter 2, where our journey is going to come to an end today through the book of Haggai. And we have seen the people of Israel return from the exile there in Babylon. They have been on a little bit of a roller coaster. They came back from Babylon pretty pumped and excited to return to Jerusalem. And so they went right at rebuilding the temple. They began working. They were working hard. But two years in, after facing a lot of obstacles and op opposition, they kind of threw down the hammer, threw in the towel. They were done. They said, this is enough. And they went back to their own homes and concentrated on their own things. Now, nothing wrong with certainly advancing what God does in our own pocketbooks or in our own lives, but it became a wrong focus for them because what happened is that they became very spiritually deadened. They became desensitized. They wanted nothing more to do with God's work, and they were quieting the, the work of God even in their own hearts. And so here we found this lesson that they had great expectations that were completely missed. They wanted the temple to be much like Solomon's temple. And so the older folks that were a part of the rebuilding were reminiscing about the glory days and they were missing the mark on what was going to be accomplished. And so there was a lot of complaints about that, but God had to use Haggai to refocus their attention on what was right. So 16 years in, after they have come back from exile, God sends Haggai and Zechariah, two of his prophets, to announce very clear warnings and direction from God. And so we saw last week, even in our text here in Haggai chapter 2, that they battled with this whole disobedience versus obedience. And knowing that disobedience brings consequences, obedience brings blessings in our lives. And we saw that clearly played out by the people of Israel. So now we come to the end here of chapter number two. It's really the end of the story, and Nehemiah, or Haggai is going to come back to a thought that he has already looked at in verses six through nine of chapter number two, and that's as he returns to this topic of the millennial reign of the Messiah. A lot of things here are pointing to something that is going to come. Much of what he prophesies about has not happened historically yet, but will happen in the coming of the Messiah one day. Now, he is going to use this text, this last part of what we're going to study, to talk a little bit about a chosen one that he has called out, one that he is going to protect and to use in the line of Jesus Christ so that the Messiah will leave all, he all of heaven's glory and come to this earth. And so, once again, it depicts this 
overthrow of the kingdoms of the world. We had studied a little bit of that in verses 6 through 9 a couple of weeks ago. And it looks to the eventual day of the Messiah, how he will reign on earth. And so as the events here that are predicted, let's kind of study and look at verses 20 through 23. And we'll spend a few moments together in this message today. Verse 20. And again, the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the fourth and twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealdiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. This morning we'll look at our passage of scripture with what is to come. What is to come? For those who are able, would you please stand with me as we pray and ask God's guidance over our message today. Father, we come before you right now as we wrap up a a very important series, teaching series through the book of Haggai, Renewing the Rebuilding. It's been an interesting journey to partner alongside Israel and to see what they're learning day in and day out through this very difficult time. And so I thank you for what they have lived and what now they represent. I thank you for using your chosen people as an example for us today. So I would ask that in our time of studying that you would give us clear wisdom on the text as well as the insight from the series that wraps it all up. Lord, we want something that is applicable to our lives today that we can take with, it, with us and we can put it into practice and we can be different because of what we've heard. So please use the power of your word to shape us and to mold us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. You know, when we think of that phrase, what is to come, when conversation begins to come up about the future, there's a lot of excitement that comes into our heart when we think about something that is, is yet to come. Uh, think about a new recent, a, a recently engaged couple. So the engaged couple, she walks around with a heavy hand so that uh, she can make sure that things are noticed. And, uh, and, and there's a lot of anticipation for what is to come, the, the planning process of the very special day. There's, there's the excitement in their heart to think about how everything will unfold and they will spend their, their years together. And so an engaged couple is looking at what is to come. Then there's the family that just recently finds out a, about a baby coming. And there's a lot of fear, there's excitement, there's anticipation, uh, there's some worries. But within all of that, they begin to put together the nursery, they begin to buy things, they begin to register for things so that the baby showers, they'll know exactly what they need. And, and uh, they'll do a stockpile of baby wipes, which will be gone in three days. And then they do all of these things that they want to anticipate. And all of the excitement about the baby coming is gone, usually after they get home from the hospital and dirty diapers begin to pile up. But what is to come is an element of excitement. And then there's the college student. We've got a lot of them that are, are getting ready for classes this week. I think we have six families that are out of town this weekend dropping their students off at college. Some of our college students in here are getting ready to start here soon. And, uh, and so there's that anticipation, new things, new challenges, uh, new opportunities. That's always something that what is to come. 
Then there's the employee. Most of us in here would represent this well. We remember these, these days. You remember the first day on the job. And you're thinking, this is just the beginning. There's a lot ahead of me. What is, what is going to come with this job? I'm going to make new relationships. I'm going to succeed. I'm going to do well. And, uh, and then there's when you're in the middle of your career. And uh, you're looking back, you're learning from the mistakes you've made, you're looking ahead with new vision and new goals, new things that you hope to accomplish of what will to come. Then there's others who are counting down the days of retirement and there's the anticipation of, of the days that will be new and new challenges and, and refreshing moments and these are all anticipations of what is to come. So when we look into this text and we see a scenario of how Haggai is going to finish his message to the people, with very encouraging words that are going to build excitement and anticipation to that which is to come. And in verses 20 through 22, we see how he shapes these words that are given to him by the Lord. These three verses are the future destruction of the nations. And we think for the small nation of Israel, and it's, it's important for us to kind of picture in history the time that they are. They are getting attacked by enemies and God allowed for the enemies of Babylon and, and uh, Persia and some of these other nations to be able to come in and conquer and take them into exile and to make them of their slaves. And they were certainly has, uh, have had a history of this, but this little small nation is going to be given hope and promise by God here in these verses. And Haggai is going to deliver and he tells his fifth message as we see in verse number 20. This is now the fifth message that Haggai is going to deliver. It's on the same day as uh, chapter number two started when uh, we looked at our text last week. But look at the language in verse number 21. He says, I will shake the heavens and the earth. This is going to be a signal for the nations that the last days have come when he is going to shake heaven and earth. And then I love the thought of verse number 22 because we have here as Haggai is going to use traditional vocabulary that the Israelites are going to connect with right away. Because as you look at how he explains this, no doubt in their mind, they're looking back at history and they know exactly what all of this means. When he says, I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. You know, they could probably think back at the Exodus when the horses, the chariots, and the riders went down, Exodus 15. Well, none of these people were there, but they've heard the stories passed down. Every year, they would read the book of De Deuteronomy together. They would recite and remember exactly what happened with their ancestors, that the kingdoms had been overthrown just as Sodom and Gomorrah. Men will fall, every one, by the sword of his brother. And the fact that Israel is small and defenseless makes no difference in the sight of God because God says I will overthrow he will act and Israel will not need to fight and verse 23 brings us to a great promise for them to look it's this is the word of encouragement because God says I will take thee O Zerubbabel and you think what's so magical about such a small little phrase and we're going to look today at the important lessons that we've learned through the book of Haggai and then how it concludes with the very last verse of this minor prophet. So let's reflect at some of these things as we look to what is to come. First of all, number one, we have learned through the study of Haggai that our choices 
matter. Our choices matter. Now, it's easy to forget the reality that the choices we make today in our life affect other people. Now, when we have pride and selfishness in our heart, we really don't care about the choices we make affecting other people. But as teenagers in here, you know that the decisions you make in your home and the decisions you make at your school, they're affecting other people than just your own little life. Dad, you know the decisions you make for your career. Mom, you know the decisions and how the choice you make and how you respond to circumstances. And as single moms, single dads, grandmas, grandpas, people raising kids, investing in people, working hard in your place of employment, or trying to find what is next in your life, your choices matter. They make an effect on other people. We also have to realize that today we are all living here, living through circumstances because of a choice that somebody else has made whether that is a positive or a negative thing you know certainly the story that Rebecca shared with us today and we can for some of us it was an incredible story but certainly not abnormal she brought that out that her story was of brokenness and some of you have that story of brokenness or you know people with stories of brokenness because of choices that have been made. But what I love is how it all came to a highlight, to a peak, to a conclusion that said, but Jesus. And it was Jesus, the choice of Jesus. It was the, the willingness that Jesus went to the cross, Philippians chapter 2, that he humbled himself and became obedient unto the death of the cross. And so by what he did, we can have that positive effect by the choice that Jesus made to extend his gift of salvation to us. Now we know that people are affected each and every day by choices they make and the choices of others. Eleanor Roosevelt said this, she said, one's philosophy is not best expressed in words. It is expressed in the choices one makes. In the long run, we shape our lives and we shape ourselves. The process never ends until we die. And the choices we make are ultimately our responsibility. You know, people want to, want to pass the buck of somebody else, the choices that we made today. Well, I just naturally responded that way because of the home environment I grew up in. Or I naturally responded that way because that's how I felt inside. Too many kids, too many teenagers, and too many adults are trying to pass the buck of blame and responsibility onto someone or something else. But we have to come to the realization that our choices matter and we are responsible for those choices. With Israel... God was sending his prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, because he came to that place that said, your choices matter and enough is enough. You have, you have come in enthusiastic and excited to do the job, to rebuild the temple of God, but you have given up so easily and gone to your carnal ways. Today, we are living out the choices that we have made in our life. Whether it is that we want to, we want to say that I love my spouse and we can say it until we're blue in the face that I love Natalie, I love Natalie, I love my spouse. And, but the choice becomes where I have to demonstrate that love or show that love. It's, it's not to prove the love, but it is to put the love in action. So when young couples come in for counseling, they say, we just don't love each other anymore. We fell out of love. Well, you never fell into love. You made a choice to love that person. And what they were doing made it easy for you to love them. And engaged time, you were able to overlook some of these things. And you thought, oh, that's just cute the way he does that. Or uh, she's so adorable in how she responds that way. Until a year into the marriage, you're like, I can't believe he still does that. 
Or why does she have to respond that way? And all of a sudden you say, I just, I don't know. There's a soulmate out there for me. I just, I, I just don't love them. I don't feel it anymore. And the reality is, for you who've been married for 30, 40, 50 years, know that there's not a whole lot of days where you do feel that love until you make the choice that says, I've committed to love that individual. And the choice that we make to love somebody is putting it into practice that doesn't just say, oh, I love you, but it says, I will demonstrate and act out on that love. Now think about that with our relationship with God. You know, we love to live the phrase, love God, love people. We want to claim it as our own, and we want to say that we're true representations of that. But do we really love God? Do we really love people? Because again, that does not become a natural habit. I don't wake up each and every day saying, I can't wait to just love people. I can't wait to just love on God, because it becomes something of a choice that says, I will do what I must do to put my love and affection in the right place. So it says, to, in order to show and demonstrate my love to God, means that I'm going to, to reject the temptation. Instead of showing my love and loyalty to myself, I will show my love and loyalty to my Heavenly Father. And then with people that we interact with on a day-to-day -day basis, you know that there are people who are hard to love. But we must make that choice that says, I will love them in spite of them. And that's a hard thing to do, but it's a choice that we make. So for the people of Israel, you remember they longed to return home to Jerusalem. No doubt while they're in exile, while they're in bondage, while they're looking to something greater and better, they just want to get back home. And that was a good thing for them to think. They wanted to be holy just like they knew God wanted them to be. But when the obstacles and the distractions came, and when the opposition was real, they decided that their choices were going to be the exact opposite of what God was calling them to do. You know, we said in the introduction, I, I, we certainly don't want to give an account to this necessarily, but we know that an organization like A Woman's Choice is under attack. They're facing it daily. The church faces attacks. But when we face these attacks with an organization or with, a, with the church body, we don't give up. We don't change the message. We don't change what we're doing. Because we stand solid on where God has placed us and what we know is right from the scriptures. And so we don't water down the gospel. We don't change things. I'm sure there's a variety of methods by which the gospel can be given, but the message of the gospel never changes. We don't take the blood of Christ out of the equation. We don't take God's grace out of the equation. We don't take faith out. We don't take confession of sin out. We don't take these elements out to make it easier for somebody to believe. We don't change the, the message of the gospel hoping that we can just get a, a quickie in. If you can just quickly say the 30-second prayer, I'll move on to the next person, I'll move on to the next challenge, and I'll count you in on my little survey card that you are good to go because you prayed this prayer. So too often we will water down the gospel hoping that some will give results in our mind. But we're going to leave the results to God. Because it's not our responsibility to make the results happen. It's our responsibility to be the, the messenger of the gospel, to be the bearer of the good news, to be the one who will proclaim and to be that mouthpiece as an ambassador for the gospel. And then we pray and we leave it to God and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so here, this communication that was given to the Israelites in chapter 1 verse 5, chapter 1 verse 7, chapter 2 verse 15, 18 is that word consider. Consider your ways. 
And so today I would ask you, as the church, as men and women, we must remember to consider our ways and to know that our choices matter. You know, I was thinking, I was thinking in the New Testament, there was a man by the name of Agrippa. He was a king. And he came to an opportunity in his life where he had to make a choice. Paul, the Apostle Paul, we all know him. He was going back and forth from leader to leader, ruler to ruler. They were trying to pin him on something. They wanted to falsely accuse him of something. And so as they're trying to put him from place to place to find a guilty verdict on him, every leader's like, hey guys, I can't find anything on him. Let's just pass him on to the next one. As he's on his way to see Caesar, uh, he finds and comes across King Agrippa. So King Agrippa wants to hear what's going on, and Paul has a privilege, an opportunity to lay out the gospel right in front of King Agrippa. In Acts chapter number 26, you're going to find that Paul will tell his personal story. By the way, Paul's got a pretty powerful testimony. If you want to see it lived out or you see it uh, written on paper to see it alive in your mind, read Acts chapter number 26. Read early parts of the book of Acts to see this amazing conversion of Paul. So Paul stands before the king. He shares his story of how change has come to him. A complete transformation has happened in Paul's life. Now, we sit here thousands of years later, and the story of Paul doesn't move us as dramatically. I mean, we learned it when we were little kids. We know the story. Saul became Paul, light in his eyes, can't see. I'm yours, God, and everything amazing, right? And so we're like, eh, Paul, another story. But think about how Paul's telling his personal story to King Agrippa. And you can see in the eyes of the king how this is making sense, I mean, he knew the story, and he could see the change, and, and, and they're trying to pin something on Paul, but uh, they can't find anything that he's really guilty of. And so as he comes to the end of this opportunity, Paul tells him how he had realized that he was a sinner in need of a Savior. Paul told him how God had demonstrated his love toward him, and how God sent his son Jesus to die in Paul's place. And Paul shared how Jesus had offered through an amazing grace eternal salvation to Paul. And Paul confessed with his mouth. He believed with his heart. And, and God's grace and Paul's faith brought this true salvation that came to Paul. And here's what Paul said to Agrippa. After bearing his heart, sharing his story, and, and, and giving him a clear gospel presentation. He says, King Agrippa... Believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, probably looking Paul right in the eyes, he says, almost you persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also that all who hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. Paul said, King, you've heard the story. You will be responsible for what you've heard. And my prayer, as Paul would be, that not only you, but everybody who has heard this message, this story, this gospel presentation, my prayer would be that all of you would be like I am. That my story of great transformation which took place. He says, I want you to be like me, except for these bonds that you're putting me in. He says, boy, if you could all grab a hold of that because... Your choice matters. Can you imagine one day as King Agrippa will stand before the great white throne judgment and he will rehearse in his mind the very words of Paul and King Agrippa's response, almost 
Almost you persuadest me. Paul would have left that day probably saddened and disheartened, but understanding that it was not his responsibility because the persuasion doesn't come from man, but the Holy, work, the Holy Spirit's work in the heart. And King Agrippa quenched that work of the Spirit. So the freedom in Jesus Christ, as we sang this morning, amazing grace, my chains are gone. The story of Paul and others, the choice really does matter. Number two, the obedience of God's people is part of how God works in the world. Another lesson that we have learned through the people of Israel. And it, last week we saw in our text the obedience and the disobedience. And as we've studied throughout this book, we have been reminded that the obedience is part of how God works in the world. And then we say, does God need me? Not necessarily, but God definitely uses us. And so with our obedience, it's a part of how God is going to work and to minister in this world. You realize that you're an important piece of the puzzle of why God has placed you in the workplace he has put you. So that you would be a living testimony, living out the gospel, and giving opportunities for you to share the love of Jesus. Why do we have the privilege of partnering with ministries like A Woman's Choice? Because our obedience demonstrates how God is going to work in the world. There are times where we want to give up. There are times we want nothing more to do with it. And we want to turn our back and we want to walk away. But we have to remember the song we sang, Christ is enough. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And we say that Christ is my all in all. He is sufficient and he is everything that I need. And so I, through the act of my obedience, will be used by God to make a difference in this world. A key thought from last week, I want to share it again, is when you are living holy, you know it because you are humbled by it. But when you are living carnally, you know it because you are haunted by it. The rebellion of a teenage daughter was breaking her mother's heart. Their struggle reached its peak when the young girl was arrested for driving under the influence of alcohol. After posting bail for her daughter, the two did not speak until the next afternoon. When they came together, the mother handed her daughter a small wrapped gift. The girl flippantly opened it. She was annoyed by what she saw. The box contained a small rock. She rolled her eyes and asked, What's this for? Her mother simply replied, Read the card, honey. She did, and she was overcome by the words inside. Tears began streaming down her cheeks as she reached out to embrace her mom, and the card simply said this, This rock is more than 6,000 years old. That's how long it will take before I ever give up on you. God broke through to that young girl. And God broke through to us as an unending, unrelenting, enduring love. And may we look to be used by God to help change the world, people around us. Let's not give up on people. Boy, it's so easy. It's easy to just throw in and say, God, you'll have to just do something greater than I'm ever going to be a part of. You take them, I want nothing more to do with them. But God wants to use us through our obedience to help change the world. Then the last lesson, as we come to verse number 23, to conclude all of this text, is these two thoughts of what we heard today, is that these should motivate us to humility and to action. You see, Zerubbabel has been a leader of the remnant of people that have returned. There's a very disheartening spirit among the people for 16 years, they have lived through some ups and downs. Zerubbabel trying to keep the focus right, trying to help move people forward. 
until Haggai and Zechariah Zachariah showed up. Now, if you remember Zerubbabel, he was the grandson of uh, Jehoiakim. He was a king, which made him in the royal line of David. Zerubbabel in the line of King David. So instead of wearing a crown and sitting on a throne, Zerubbabel, as a prince, was the humble governor of a struggling group of people in the Jewish nation. He was trying to complete the building. And really, this building was rather a very inglorious temple compared to Solomon's temple. But God says in this discouraging situation to this royal prince, he says, I will take thee, O Zerubbabel, for I have chosen you. Why is Zerubbabel so special? You see, he truly was chosen by God. And in the ancestry of Jesus, you know how we have the ancestries in the, um, in the Gospels? When you look at the ancestries of Jesus, Zerubbabel was the last person to stand to be in both the line of Mary the blood lineage of Jesus, and in Joseph, the legal lineage of Jesus. If you want those passages of Scripture, look at Luke 3, 27 and Matthew chapter 1, verse 12. You will find that Zerubbabel was the last to stand in both Mary's line and Joseph's line. And he says, I will make thee as a signet. What does that mean? That, that he will be used as a, a stamp of approval? No. We know that the signet ring was engraved with the king's seal and it was used to endorse all official documents, Esther chapter 8. And it was so precious that to guard it against theft, the kings would usually wear it on their hand. And so this vivid figure declared a renewed election of the Davidic covenant, this Davidic line that was coming, and it represented in Haggai's day through Zerubbabel. So he says here that he too would be kept safe to fulfill the God-appointed destiny. So for him to say that I will make you as a signet did not mean that you will be given a, a, a ring so that you can stamp official documents as a notary. No, he was saying that you, as the signet rings have been protected through time on the hands uh, of a king, Zerubbabel, you will be held in safety and protection by the king of kings because your line will represent the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Even today it occurs that he is celebrated in the Jewish nation. They have him enlisted in one of the hymns recounting God's deliverance. It says, Well nigh had I perished when Babylon's end drew near. Through Zerubbabel I was saved after 70 years. You know, this thing of being staying humble and keeping us in action. Now I think, well, how does that relate to me? Is that we are kept into the very hand of God. He promises us in John chapter 10 that no man can pluck us out of the Father's hand. What a beautiful and wonderful promise. The next time that the devil tries to discourage you and say you're useless, just remind him that you're a prince and princess of the very king of kings and lord of lords. Remind him that you are protected by the very hands of God and that he has a calling that is special and unique for you. So don't be discouraged by the devil. Don't be bogged down by your past. In all humility, continue to move forward and act. Haggai wrapped up his message by saying, People of Israel, be humbled that God is using you, but continue to build, continue to work, continue to act. You know, this thought of humility is, a, is one that we all need to be reminded of. This past Friday, I had the opportunity to do a devotional for the first graders in Brooklyn's class. So they brought all three first grade classes together and I came in to do a 10-minute devotional. 
And so while here are 40 kids uh, sitting crisscross applesauce with their legs, and, and I'm telling them, hands folded in your lap, eyes looking here, everybody pay close attention. We looked at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. We talked about the fear that God has not given us, but of power, love, and sound mind, clear thinking, self-control. The boys and girls are engaged. We're having a good time. I scare them with something. Ah, you know, they're having a good time. We're laughing together. And then we're going through the very biblical truths that God is teaching us. They were engaged. We had a wonderful time. At the end, we closed in prayer. I walked to the back. All three teachers, really appreciative. They just oh, headed, you know, straight on. We'd love to have you for chapel. You know, you kind of think, well, that's encouraging. You know, it's maybe, maybe God used it to encourage these teachers, these boys and girls. Went on to my work day, thanking the Lord for the opportunity. When I got home that afternoon, I asked Brooklyn, I said, hey, how are the boys and girls today? Oh, Daddy, it was so much fun to have you in class, and it was so neat. She said, but there was Elijah. Now, we've prayed for Elijah, right? So she said, I asked Elijah, what did you think of my daddy's message? He goes, ah, he was really boring. <laughs> Elijah, you're co I'm coming for you, boy. I don't know who you are or where you are, but you better watch out. You know, first graders have a way of keeping us humble, don't they? The people of Israel were motivated to humility and action, and they did accomplish what God had set out for them to do. Renewing the rebuilding. Church, where do we go from here? I think we can thank the messenger Haggai for clearly speaking the truth from God and letting us come alongside to learn some wonderful truths that we can apply to our lives today. May we be willing to take the steps of growth to be used by God in our area of influence and may we choose to do right when opposition comes and obstacles are in our way. Hey, we decided to follow Jesus. Don't look back. Don't get bogged down. Renew the rebuilding of your heart and let's press on together.